Hello, and welcome to episode five of Automation Station, the podcast series from Capgemini that is all about automation. For a time, the pandemic paralyzed the planet and significantly disrupted business globally. Indeed, one Capgemini report shows that one in 10 organizations fear that their organization will not be able to overcome it, and more than a third believing that it will take more than 12 months for revenues to stabilize. What we do know is that automation in some shape or form has been used to help business survive the COVID impact and potentially, more importantly, prepare for post-pandemic landscape. I'm Brian Doherty and today I'm joined by two people who spend a great deal of their professional life researching the aspects of automation. Iris Bruckner is from Capgemini Invent, where she is part of the workforce and organisation team specialising in workforce transition. Iris has more than 20 years of international consulting and industry experience with a focus on the people perspective in large international and national transformation programmes. She is also a contributor to the Capgemini Research Institute report, Upskilling Your People for the Age of the Machine, the future of work in the energy industry report in cooperation with the German Association of Energy and Water Industries, as well as a point of view paper examining the transformation of work in the public sector. Iris, you're very welcome. Thanks, Brian, and also thanks for the opportunity to be part of your podcast series on automation. For me, the future of work has already started, and digital technologies, and specifically automation, play an important role in it. Whereas improved workforce productivity is one of the main objectives behind automation initiatives, our research shows that the majority of executives believe that the current wave of automation is not yet meeting this desired outcome. By the way, this opinion is also shared by 45% of their employees. Unfortunately, this means for most of the organization, the impact on automation on the workforce is an afterthought, although it should be an integral part of the automation strategy, having a direct impact on its success. What is more, with an integrated people perspective, we do see other effects, such as a significant boost in employees' morale, as well as a higher willingness to stay due to automation. Consequently, in order to leverage the full potential of automation, organizations need to invest in enabling their workforce. I'm also delighted to welcome Chantal brandt Larson. Chantal is an entrepreneur and academic and is one of those people who manages to squeeze 40 hours of activities into a 24-hour day. Currently, she leads on the future of work from Switzerland, where she now lives. She is also a strategic board advisor for Girls Develop It!, for techface.ch and for Shake Up the Workplace, and an executive advisory board member for the International Journal of Human Resources Development. And if that wasn't enough, Chantel is also a qualified organization relationship and systems coach. Chantel, you're very welcome. Hi, Brian. So that sounds like quite a list. I guess it um, puts me as a rebel. I'm very much a rebel in transformation. I come at it from um, a slightly different lens. I think Iris and I um, actually, though, would meet, but we, we have different ways of, of describing it. I come at it with a very human lens. And I think the phrase that was used was automation as an afterthought. For me, the, the lens is disproportionately technology-led that I see. And so the thing that's an afterthought that I see quite often is change. And that's why when we come to automation, there's often a high amount of failure. 85% of AI automation projects fail. 
And that inadequacy is in that human design. There's a, a piece of research by Prakeen which shows that 43% of projects um, have an overspend. Um, so change isn't working. And my research gets to why is that? And the answer is a human one. And what that comes together is in a number of human conditions that need to be in place for automation to work. So for humans and machines to work together in what I call augmented network of teams. So yes, automate, but and also designed for the human in these eight conditions is probably worth I just out, outline what those are. The first is trust, psychological safety being the second, positive emotion, motivation, stress, engagement, and explainability. And when you combine all of these together, this becomes easier for both humans and machines to work together in teaming together. They are one team. And this is the perspective that I like to say, let's change how we look at it. Einstein's very definition of insanity is to do the same thing again. And previously being in the consulting world, I see we always have this, you know, the same lens and even in, in industry as well. We need to look at it differently and, and let's be honest, change isn't working. And that's the thing that, that needs to change. Through this podcast, we'll come back to those themes, I think, again and again, um, Chantelle. But we, we talk about the new normal or the future of work. So let's try and put some shape on that. Are, are we solely talking about the governance of remote workers, for example? Iris? Um. Definitely not, Brian. What you call the new normal future of work, we are looking at, at reinventing work. For us, it has four major perspectives. And the first one is what we call the new working paradigm. Perhaps you would call it, as you said, the new normal. It's really we are looking and we will be looking in, at hybrid working models, operating model that need to have the right balance between physical and digital and also encompassing performance, autonomy, benefits and flexibility and very much touching the aspects of the people perspective, the space perspective and also the technology perspective, meaning we are looking with the hybrid working model at real estate, commuting, how is remote work set up, the social interaction, what is more important that I feel part of a company purpose workers enabling, how do I manage teams that work hybrid, remote, thus it comes to leadership again. And also for sure, we're looking at the carbon footprint. So these are all new opportunities to really have a look at the nature of work and reshape the organization. And the other point, if we look at the new working paradigm, we are also looking at the technology side, and this is what we call the digital workplace. So this is really how do we support such a distributed environment? How do we support a hybrid workplace? And there we need the right technology to speed in. So this means to empower people really to collaborate, to interact, to innovate, so that they can really also use this new environment, the new normal, to be efficient, intuitive, and um, have also highly secured and digital tools and systems that support them. Third aspect is what we call the augmented workforce, and Chantelle mentioned it before, between the right teaming between humans and technology. We are very much looking there that we need an adaptable, self-generating workforce that is capable of evolving in step with the technologies, for, because for us, this will be a constantly evolution of technology. So augmenting the workforce with technology provides opportunities for cost reduction and equips people with the technology they need 
to assume their new roles and skills be fulfilled and co-create value. But it's absolutely essential from our perspective to ensure that employees are reskilled and fully invested in this journey. The fourth point is um, intelligent HR. So if we look at the new um, normal, intelligent HR plays a much bigger role in there. It's at the center of a significant program to change. So it skips the business in the future with information and insight it needs to make vital strategic people decisions. So we need talent-centered and data-powered HR functions to underpin the transition to the new world of work in which people management ceases to be merely a support function and becomes the core business contributor. So, so you talk about intelligent HR, about augmented workforce, digital work the digital workplace. And Chantal has talked about a, a very um, different relationship as well between employer and the employee. I, I mean, without being too dramatic about it, are, are we seeing the end of employment as we know it? Is there a different relationship um, between employer and employment? And, and, and maybe to be you know, completely dramatic about it, are robots taking over the world? Chantal? The short answer is no, but let me just let me just expand. I loved what Iris was talking about and the breadth of what she was going into before I come on to that question, if I may, Brian. The breadth that Iris just gave for me highlights the shift that's been made. We are no longer just talking about efficiency, effectiveness, this kind of tailorist approach. The pandemic is just one more disruptor on top of all of the others the speed of technology, the introduction of technology, which means that what Iris was outlining was this enterprise level lens and need to change things like reward, like recognition, for us really to be able to adapt our teams, human and machine, especially humans, and then more agile organization to make these enterprise level changes. So it's not just about the automation changes, the technology changes, it's at an enterprise level. I think that's really what I was picking up from, from Iris. And these team level changes with the ability to adapt. And I like also what was being said about humans being able to you know, keep up or adapt. I also believe in what was in my research as humans are a part of that. Communities actually design technology to be better, to inc- not only to be productive, but to increase capacity. One of the organizations that I was working with was a big insurance organization, and they had communities of fraud uh, coming in place. Another one was reliability-centered maintenance, and they had engineers, and those communities themselves at the team level designed that. And then if I come on to your question, you know, just to connect the dots, (laughs) no, absolutely not. And there's two points. I, from an academic um, point of view, there are two things. One, the stats are misguided. And two, there is something called the Maravik paradox. And I'll come on to the two. The stats, uh, there's no credible research to say that robots will actually replace people. It's a false interpretation of some initial research, which was done back in about 2013, where they took 702 OECD to find that 47% of tasks were automatable. They said, okay, this amount of tasks are automatable. And then later, fast forward to 2018, they extended on those jobs. They took 200,000 jobs. And by country, dependent on country, between 20 and 40% of the the tasks were automatable. 
by 2030. And then bang, you get the headline saying 40% of jobs will be lost due to robots. And so it's this misinterpretation between tasks and jobs. If I take my tasks in a day, it does not replace my job. Some of my tasks can be automated, filtering out my spam, organizing my calendar, but my job is still there. It's not replaceable. It just gives me capacity to do more. And that's what I found with my research. So that's point one. Point two is the uh, Maravak paradox, basically. So in a very simple form, you have machines and you have humans. And if you take machines from them being a baby, they were playing chess. Which baby plays chess? So they were grown and learned to play chess right from the first game in 1957. And then 40 years later, 40 years later, the machine finally beat the human in deep blue. So that's a long time, but it was grown on computational power, which will beat a human hands down. And then let's throw in quantum coming in, where Google is saying that the, the computer, the quantum computer is 100 million times faster than a computer that they have in the current lab. So hands down with that, it strengthens computational power. But if you compare it to a human, yeah, uh, a child, a baby comes up, their eyes open, they flumber around, their senses, their eyes, they're interpreting so much information. They're great at creativity, intuition, composing, dancing. My husband would maybe argue he's not so good at dancing. But those simple things, those intuitive things, humans are good at. And then you get the two. And the paradox is saying, well, what machines are good at, the strengths, humans may be weaker. And let's comp they complement each other. So one's strength is the other one's weakness and, and vice versa. And this is where you bring them in together and why you won't see a replacement, regardless from the horror, you know, headlines, you will see a complementation and augmentation of the two for the best of the both to come forward and increase that value creation, have the productivity that Iris was uh, talking about and the capacity. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess what, what, I'm hearing there from a in an enterprise sense, certainly there's a balance to strike between the speed and agility of automation against, uh, one could argue, a, a couple of million years of acquired knowledge and values through human evolution. Iris? Yes, that's right. And, and my arguments would also very much go in line with what Chantel just was saying. So we are really looking also at the automation potential in saying having a balance in organizations between the technology dimension and the people dimension. Uh, so, so it's also, again, like Chantelle said, this is less about the risk to jobs and it's more about the impact automation is going to have on skills and learning. And this is, has also been said by André Richier, the policy officer at European Commission's Directorate General for Internal Market, Industry, Entrepreneurship and SMEs. He points out that automation can be less about job losses and more about the changing nature of job. And this is very much which what Chantel was also referring to with the task level. So the bigger the impact on automation will be on the very nature of jobs. In this sense, there will be hardly any area of work that is not impacted by automation. And, and therefore, and I think this is one of the central 
arguments I would be putting for if we look at the balance. Organizations need to manage not just their digital transformation and the adoption of automation, but really need to focus on this people dimension in upskilling and transitioning their workforce just as so, so the industry analyst Forrester wrote about what they termed workforce orchestration, noting that there will be an increasing need to coordinate work among humans and robots. And I think this feeds in very much to what you've both been talking about. Chantelle, you've recently published a white paper proposing a framework that would provide a wider lens for a human. And I mean, I was astounded to learn that 85% of AI projects are predicted to fail, but that successful projects require a shift from replacing to augmenting humans. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, interesting. I haven't seen that that exact report. But yeah, my paper is really researching these 12 companies and it's looking at the heart of what were the successes and failures around where they've had the AI implementations. And what Forrester, I, I think, is calling workforce orchestration, I call the human system or the human conditions. Those eight pieces that we I mentioned before, psychological safety, trust, collaboration, motivation, so forth. I more just go into the how. So it's not just about the coordination of that workforce, you know, who's doing what tasks. That's part of it. You can have a what, you can have clarity of roles, clarity of responsibility and so forth. But the how, this is where companies become stuck. They're not really able to break down those barriers between machines and humans or even the silos. So it's being able to understand how teams are actually operating, where they may not trust in the organization, where they need more access in the organization, how collaboration, how work is actually getting done in the organization. And a tangible example of this would be the NHS, or for those not in the UK, that's the National Health Service. So the yeah, all of the hospitals. And they had AI, they have AI in for general practitioners, GPs, who basically prescribe slots for people. You know, if my mum calls in, you know, you get a slot, you get a, a time, and it forces a time slot for GPs. What's happening is we are losing a lot of general practitioners, which take a long time to train, don't have enough in the system, and they're stressed because the AI is telling them and computational saying, well, hey, the ultimate slot for an appointment is X, therefore you're going to meet them. But it doesn't allow for the decision-making power of the GP that perhaps, hey, this person's come in three or four times. Maybe there's something there. This is where the human intuition is coming in, but also where trust comes in. Do they trust the AI to make the decision? Is there an element of psychological safety where they can go against the AI? Yeah, this comes me over even more into um, pharma industry and other industries where, hey, what if there is possibly an error? Do people feel safe enough you know, to speak up? So you have these human conditions where it thrives as well as the coordination of work. So I agree with the coordination or orchestration. Of- so this is what the white paper uh, goes into these elements and then how you go about creating that environment. First of all, understanding it via an ONA, so an organization network analysis, um, and understanding those components. Once you understand the components across the network of teams, actually building up the right conditions for both humans and machines to be orchestrated successfully, to use Forrester's words. And and there might 
also be another aspect on the workforce orchestration. So our research also shows, and I, I think I mentioned it before, that the change is really not that we will have massive redundancies. On the contrary, if we look at the industries, for example, if we look at Eberhard Schröder, who's the director HR operations management at ZF Friedrichshafen, that's a German car uh, parts manufacturer, our organization's main focus is to retain and skill the workforce, which is already on board and not make them redundant owing to automation. We very much value the internal knowledge and network that people build working with the company for years. So there's also an aspect of orchestration in the sense that we value the workforce we have that knows the company and therefore we are also evolving them in a sense of learning, enabling that they can also use the technologies. But on the other hand, if we look at uh, workforce orchestration, there is also an aspect that we surveyed many organizations that they said they would focus more on flexible staffing than redundancies. So less would say that we are making people redundant. It's more than a lot of organizations will rely more on flexible stuff. A good example for this is Walmart. So they have revealed plans to rely on a more flexible external workforce, crowdsource or outsource, to handle tasks as package delivery and assembly. And Walmart expects to diminish jobs mostly via attrition and also to offer jobs that pay more, for instance, to customer services. So the research has also established that as automation has gained ground in the last couple of decades, the share of workers in the US who are engaged in alternative work from temporary agency workers to independent contractors rose from 11 points in 2005 to 16 points in 2015. This trend is also expected to continue as automation levels rise if we look at the workforce orchestration. I mean, I think what I'm hearing from both of you is that you know, kind of, you're both confident gainful employment will be around for for many years to come. If I might ask you, just as my final question, and I, I know this is a horrible question, but if I could ask you to gaze into the crystal ball for a second and predict what you envisage would be the the greatest difference between employment today and employment in say five or even ten years. So I think that's like a little bit of a mystic Meg showing my age there. I was the lottery person in the UK who came out, or you know, crystal shot. I really think that successful organizations will have humans and machines as teammates. And what does that look like? There's actually four things. And I want to link back with what I was saying, but predict to the future. Even if we look at upskilling and we look at Walmart and organizations, in order to do that, they actually have to use automation. Automation is the power behind that to really have skills as the basis to employ. Where do you, where do those skills sit? So companies like, and it's public, Unilever have a technology called Glow, or there are other technologies where you can identify by skills basis where those skills set to projects. So it's not necessarily about a hierarchy, it's about the skills. And then if you widen that out to what I was saying, is that on balance sheet or off balance sheet, right? You have this wider pool. Automation with that computational power is actually part of that one. Two is I see AI is like a, a superpower in itself to humans. It's enhancing, you know, as we're saying, 
as I'm saying in the Moravec paradox, it's like enhancing it. So how can we, a, a bit like the example I just gave in the skills, but it, it, it's giving it, I'm thinking of a metaphor, if anyone's seen Black Panther, that vibranium, one doesn't re- exist without the other. That su- the human needs a superpower and the superpower needs the human. Two humans become part of a enhanced team. And so my prediction for the future is that has to be more that 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 happens, but also needs to be more thought through. So people like Iris and I, and there are others, become yes more needed because we have to think about them as one total team, but rather than in isolation. And four, I think there are critical roles that come up with in terms of value creation or changes of roles that people need to learn and unlearn. I think change roles need to change from what they are today. Change isn't working. It needs to start with a human. It needs to be on a leadership level. People need to commit to, well, what are we saying is going to happen? What behaviors need to change? What does that mean we need to do? What does it mean we need to start, stop, prioritize change? Change roles need to look at teams and how do we really enable teams to be empowered and act at the team level, investment, and then more affect the change. Roles such as communities, I think I've mentioned. So really having communities of intent in the design and the enhancement and the overall continuous capacity creation and improvement. And roles that um, that, that really work with team designing and iterating their own environment for collaboration and innovation and increasing the hybrid ways of working so that we break down the silos and we empower people to add. That would be my mm-hmm. answer. Mm-hmm. And, and and just to add to this, for me, the biggest um, difference between employment today and in five or 10 years time will be the creation of what I would call a real augmented workforce, meaning a workforce that smartly combines human and technology capabilities, or as, as Chantel was putting it, that we have those teams. Yeah. So the human resources will be expanded and complemented with technology in such a way that both parts act in synergy to create the highest possible value add for their organization. And in order to reach this, I would see relevant steps for the organizations to have transformed before. First, we would need to have an iterative workforce strategy and planning, which means a regular assessment of the impact of emerging technologies on the company's um, business model, but also on the workflow, on the work. Additionally, constantly based on this, refining the future required skills and competencies so that we have the optimal workforce composition, i.e. the fitting mix of human and technology Uh, build or buy of of talents, meaning I'm developing my own employees, but I'm also looking for additional talents I might need. Second, we are looking at a strong focus, and I think we mentioned that several times, but it's a responsibility of organization for the workforce skilling. So we are looking for a new approach to a learning strategy with really a focus on continuous learning and creating individual learning experience. Whereas learners can learn in their pace, but which where they also can contribute, share and support each other in the learning. And third, I think that there's also a different workforce ecosystem needed to overcome also the shortages on digital talent we currently already see. So this means organization needs much more to focus on the employee journey in order to attract and retain employees especially also in the hybrid working models, so that we have a real employee experience 
and understand individually how employees can foster and grow and also what kind of, and that brings us back to the point we had before, a fitting culture and a leadership that is also supporting this workforce in their, I would say, evolution. Love it, Iris. <laughs> Thank you. Same to you. <laughs> I, th I think it has been a, a fascinating discussion. We've covered a lot of ground in the past few minutes. Let me say thank you for there. I mean, we must leave it. Let me say thank you to both Chantelle Brandt-Larsen and to Iris Bruckner. Our next episode is the final Automation Station podcast and continues on the topic that we covered here as we explore why digital ready organisations have been able to respond better to the pandemic than those that have lagged. And as we seem to be emerging from this global crisis, scarred but not broken, what lessons have we learned to shape the new normal? Join me then. Automation Station was produced and edited by Capgemini Social Content Studio, written and presented by me, Brian Doherty, with original music from Abishu Rakshit.